Katie. I'm Erica. And this, and this is, is Book Talk. Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. <laughs> Can we do that again? Hi, Katie. Hi, Erica. <laughs> <laughs> we finished Memorial. How are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling good. I love this book. What an interesting, like, book to finish at the close of 2020. <laughs> right. A lot of metaphors there. <laughs> lots. lots. A lot of, of things that relate. So that's nice. Um, all right. Let's start with a quick summary so we can all be on the same page. Spoilers will be included. Oh, yeah. I mean, are these spoilers? I feel like we knew all this was happening from the very first page. But, you know, spoilers are happening. In this last section, we're kind of closing out some of these stories. We see that Asia dies, which is a whole moment for Mike and Taro and everybody else. Mike ends up coming home, um, and then we switch back to Benson narrating. The two of them decide to break up, but also decide to stay together. Um, Mike wants to move back for back to Japan, and he kind of invites Benson. So we see them kind of working through will they or won't they for the end of their relationship. Um, Mike ends up meeting Omar which isn't as awkward as expected. And then the last part ends with Mitsuko getting drunk and talking about her choices and essentially leading them down the path of what she wants them to do. And the book ends with them taking Mitsuko to the airport and we get no real resolutions on Mike and Benson. <laughs> so what did you think? <laughs> well, I one of the parts that I liked about this last section I think um, Brian Washington did a good job of like having interesting repetitions that link up certain sections. So in this last chunk of the book, we keep revisiting the times that Mike and Benson have said, I love you to one another. Which is sweet, but it's only five. So that's not sweet. Yeah, it was sweet and also showed a lot about their relationship and about the difficulties of communication between the two of them. Um you know, the I love the the last scene that we get of them telling them, I love you. They're on a walk and they're saying, like, I love that building. I love that tree. I love that lamp. Like all of these things to avoid or kind of dance around what they're actually saying, which is I love you. I love this moment. I love being together. Um, and I think that's really kind of the core issue that the two of them had is this inability to communicate um, with one another openly. And that's just such a way to show their it's such an a way to show the example of what happened without being so explicit about it. Um, I thought that was beautiful and also sad because we know that there's so much love there between them. And, you know, it's like you just want to get it out of them. Almost. Right. I just want to shake them and tell them you should tell people you love them every single day. Tell them that you love them. What are you doing? Um, but I think that, too, is the theme of the miscommunication, the underlying things everyone wants to say, but no one is saying. I don't think I read a lot of books like this that aren't prescriptive, that don't tell you how to think or what the view of the relationship should be or what happens at the end. I feel like a lot of novels, um, which is good, like Vanishing Half reading that, I feel like it walks you through a story that has an end where you're aware of like the inner thoughts of everybody. It just seems much more like it's telling you a story. And this one is kind of outlining what's happening but it's not telling you how to feel about it or what happens and you like he leaves it open-ended we don't know what will happen are things really good because 
there's a countdown in their relationship and Mike's leaving. And so things get better because it's not permanent anymore. Or do they stay together because now they're more appreciative of each other and can work through some of those issues. And you kind of, I kind of like that you get to decide. I also kind of hate not knowing. It's like the control freak in me. <laughs> but I just want to know. What were you thinking, Brian Washington? That's what I want to know. Yeah, I have a love-hate relationship with open endings. Um, in some way, I think they are freeing because it allows you to kind of embody the story and make your own assumptions about what it means and what happens um and i you know i think we see mitsuko trying to drive her narrative of how this story should go um saying like you guys could choose this you can choose each other you can make this choice but then also looking back at her life and realizing i also made choices and they're incredibly costly and i think that's maybe the theme of the another theme of the book is about like the weight of our individual choices and how we can never really know what the right choice is. We kind of just have to choose. And Mike has chosen to go back to Japan. Benson has to choose now to either follow him and insert himself into that completely new story or to stay in Houston. I think it's pretty obvious at this point that they've both come to better relationships and better ideas of what they want. So I don't see... I don't see a possibility that they actually do stay together, but Mitsuko's like the, I think she just loves Benson and she realizes how she sees what they could have been and that's something they can't see or they don't, they, do, they haven't realized yet. Sure. I think the interesting part of that is we talked earlier about how not making a decision is making a decision. So because, you know, these two are not great at making decisions or talking about their feelings or communicating, I wonder how long this like in between phase will last where they, like, don't really end it. Or maybe Benson's like, I'll try Japan for two weeks. And then, like, what if he just doesn't leave for two years? He just, like, keeps forgetting to book the ticket. Like, I just, I don't know. I wonder if they, if the two of them would ever concretely make this decision. But maybe eventually. And I think Benson meeting Omar might help because he's kind of the one who doesn't have anything, like, holding him down the same way that Mike has that six-month timeline over his head of when the bars, when he has to start, like, working there. So... It'll be interesting. It would have been interesting to know what happened, but whatever. You know, this reminds me a lot of one of my good friends who recently went through a breakup. Um, obviously, it's like during COVID time. So it's particular. It's a particular example, but similar to like Mike and Benson, where you're like, we know that this relationship is not going to work. We know that like this isn't going to be a long term thing, but we're going to stay together until X date because it's just like logistically makes sense. And also like our lives are so enmeshed. It like it doesn't make sense to have a clean break almost. Um, and I think it's like it's such a it's a beautiful way to end a relationship when there's no there, there was no betrayal. There was no like animosity. I think that is also what we're seeing is like a peaceful memorial to their relationship. Like there. No, nobody is the bad guy here in both. But they both kind of both are the bad though. guy. Like, right, exactly. I feel like in examples, you know, where people do that, where they like and things, end things amicably. Wow. Whatever. You know what I'm saying there. When they end things on a good note. <laughs> 
It's because there was no animosity because there wasn't like a huge fight. The thing about Mike and Benson though is that there is. Like they were both awful to each other at different times, but maybe kind of like the score is even now and they can just accept that they weren't great and they had a lot of growth to grow through. And now maybe we can just end it kind of on this good note and both of them learning something from it, it being a season they both needed to go through. And now we can move on. How do you feel about the book overall? I like it was good. I feel like it, there's a lot of interesting themes to talk about. I think their relationship is very realistic. I think Brian Washington is an extremely talented writer. I love reading his writing. It's very poetic and I can't wait to see what he writes next. And I think it was a good book. Like I'll keep it and I'll give it to people if they want to read it. But I feel like it wasn't one I'm going to like shove down everybody's throat to read like I do when I read something that's like life-changingly good. I agree. I, I, this isn't, wasn't my favorite book I read this year, but I do think the characters of Mike and Benson are going to stay with me. Um, I think there are some lessons I'll remember as well. Yes. I think this is a thinker. It like puts you into the memory of dysfunctional relationships and it's a good one to, to reflect. We should announce our new book. Yes. Let's announce our new book. Do you want to do it? (laughs) No, no, you can do it. We are reading Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reed. I feel like I'm I'm excited because I didn't really know anything about this book before we put it in the drawing and picked it out. I do think the title sounds a little bit more like fleeting and fun than this book is probably going to be. So <laughs> <laughs> there's that. <laughs> I've heard like such good things. How funny is this? This book was actually published on New Year's Eve 2019. Was it? Yeah. And this is another debut novel, which is apparently like a theme that we're doing. I guess. We are hyping these new authors up. You can always check our Instagram for the schedule or sign up for our newsletter to get the schedule in your email inbox. Um, You can DM us. We're at book talk, book, T-O-K underscore podcast. We will start reading on the 10th of January, and the first pod will be released on the 17th. So make sure you get your books in this first week of the new year, and make sure you buy them at your local bookstore. We love a local bookstore. We do. We do. I also, in a funny moment, went to um, Bookloft. Like, I was drawing the book we were going to read for this one out of our suggestions from all of you on Instagram, Um, and... I went to Bookloft to pick up another book, came home, drew the book, and realized, like, I didn't buy it. I should have done it before I went to the store. Like, <laughs> And take uh, a, like, you could have taken a cool picture of it, too, at Bookloft. Yeah, I mean, I didn't do Oops. great on any of the... <laughs> like, I oh, failed well. across the board. It's fine. <laughs> Hello, my name is Easy. I reside in Columbus, Ohio. I am in hospitality service. Been in it for about 15 years. I love it. I love making people happy and people full with love. What a great intro. Thank you. I love the way Brian Washington writes in this book. Um, It makes me very hungry. I wanna try out new recipes. I'm in love with a few characters so far. I'm in love with the sister, Benson's sister. She's just so free-spirited, minds her own business, does her own thing, she's independent. Um, just a strong young black woman. Uh, reminds me of my younger sister, Karanda. 
Easy, what would you say to Mike and Benson if they were your friends? Like, what advice would you give them in their relationship? Ooh, you know, that's kind of hard because the question is, am I friends with Ben or Mike? You know, because it's like... You can pick. Give us, you can yeah, pick. Give us both. Who are you friends you with first? Um, I feel that in their relationship, they're young, but I feel that uh, it's cheating physical altercation, they're not on the same page, dysfunctional, it's depression, and you need to get out of that. Like, why, why would you want to live in that? You want to live in happiness, in joy, you know? Like, I just don't understand that. You can't live life like that. It's just bad. So, mm-hmm. I would say get the fuck out as soon as possible. <laughs> like, you can love someone enough to let them go, and that's it. You know, yeah. with respect. Benson, he has had like a rough go of it so far, mm-hmm. like with his family, with his just like in his life. Mm-hmm. So I feel like kind of with Mike, he's like, this is good enough. Like I'm, I'm content because it's not awful. I feel like he doesn't know that he like deserves the joy or want the joy because he's just like, well, as long as it's not awful, at least it's you know better than it was. Mm, but you should want more for yourself. There's more out there, you know. Also, what age? Like, how old are they? Do we know that? I don't, I don't think it's clear. I, th- I imagine them in their, like, late mm-hmm, 20s, early 30s. Mm-hmm, yeah, because mm-hmm. yeah. that makes a huge difference, too. Like, they're just learning. They're learning about themselves and each other, which can make a relationship complicated, mm-hmm. you know? Right. Mm-hmm. So that has a lot to do with it as well. And the death of a parent. I think for Michael, he has... He's, like, lived his life at such a fast pace. And then his dad passing, I feel like, is the first time he's been forced to, like, be stuck in this couple of months where his dad is slowly dying. And that's had the impact of slowing him down and making him start to, like, reevaluate things. So I feel like there's a lot of growth that happens whenever someone loses a parent. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and also with them being gay men, they both have daddy issues. You know, unhealthy fathers, unhealthy relationships with their fathers, too. So that plays a huge part. In some of the conversations with Mike and Benson, we see Benson talking about anti-blackness and his relationship with his family um, and then and the homophobia he experiences within his family. And Mike experiences a couple of um shocks of homophobia as well Mm -hmm. and there's this quote in the book that says um there's this phenomena you get sometimes not too often if you're lucky when someone you think you know says something about your gayness that you weren't expecting at all ben calls it a tiny earthquake Mm -hmm. i don't think he was wrong you're destabilized is the point how much just depends on where the quake originates the fault lines how in your mind and in your life does anti-blackness and homophobia exert unique pressures onto someone And how do you deal with that in relationships? First of all, I love being black. I'm pro-black. I'm a proud black gay man. Um, But I have dealt with uh, racism, homophobia. I fought through it. Um, You know, when it comes to racist people, homophobia, I used to get very angry. Now, this may sound crazy, I just laugh it off 
like I'll just laugh at ignorance when it comes to people. Um, if I'm dealing with someone on a romantic level, if we're together, even with friendships, I feel that my circle should just be pro-black. Like, you should know black history. If not, you should be willing to learn. And that's just that. Um, I know growing up that it was complicated because being gay was wrong. Me and myself was wrong. Polishing my nails was wrong. Um, I was told, you know, the way I walk, uh, the way I talked, um, wasn't masculine enough. So growing up, it was very complicated for me to be comfortable in my own skin as a gay man, you know. Um, but I'm 34 years old now. I'm comfortable in my skin. I love myself so much. And I'm just very aware of my surroundings. And um, I have no issue with putting any, anyone in check that is disrespectful to me and my kind. And that's black and gay. That plain and simple. You know, there. I think women do this too, where we think like, oh, we, we understand because we've experienced gender discrimination. And it can almost be... Well, I don't know what it's like in a relationship when someone is like, no, I get it. Like, I get what you're going through. And especially like over the past couple of months, it's like, no, you don't really get what it's been like or what I feel just because you understand one facet of discrimination. Yes, I feel like a lot of people, um, a lot of people, I mean, including my white friends, they don't understand how it feels for me to just walk to the store wearing a black hoodie. You know what I'm saying? Like, I have to... I feel like I'm walking on eggshells. I have to be very careful even when I get pulled over. It's just, I have to be careful. That's how I feel, you know? And a lot of people don't understand that and know from my perspective with being black. It's a lot. I mean, even today, it's just so much going on. Um, I don't know. It's a lot. It's deep. But a lot of people don't understand that. They can't really relate to that. Do you feel like you have to explain that to people that you're dating? Or do you feel like that makes you pick who you're dating more carefully, I guess? No, I don't. I feel like I shouldn't have to explain myself at all. I feel like people should just know, you know? Um, I don't know. I don't know. I, it, it gets weird when I feel like I need to explain myself and my blackness. It's just weird, you know? Even little things, you know, I had white people ask me how I wash my hair. I'm like, um, I shampoo it and I condition it. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know what more to say to you. Uh, you know, that's about <laughs> it, you know. <sighs> uh, yeah. I remember one time I, um, this was years ago when I was serving at Cap City. And I uh, took everyone's order. And as I walk away, this older white guy, he was maybe in his 70s, I don't know, he grasped my arm. And he was like, by the way, we voted for Obama. I was like, okay. Just oh. weird. Like, <laughs> okay. Good for you, sir. Ew, people are so I know, annoying. I know, and I know. Forward. I know. So, yeah, just I little things that. like that. Um, one topic that comes up throughout the book is the idea of home and different characters arguing about what home means. Mm -hmm. um, what, what do you think home is to you? Is it a person, a place, a group? You know, what does home mean? 
Oh, home is an energy I feel. Home is comfort. Home is love. Home is vulnerable. What is home to you? I think I am my home. Um, I mean, I, not to like, I don't know. I don't have like the best, um, I didn't have the best upbringing. I don't have the best relationship with my parents. I don't have the best relationship with my siblings. Um, it just is what it is. We're working on it. Um, and I've kind of had to be my own home. And that's been like through moving, you know, moving out, getting kicked out, moving to different places, starting over, starting over again, starting over again. And when you have that type of upbringing, I feel like that's very, that's Mike. It's like, I'm so embodied because I have to, because I have to protect myself, because I have to bring myself to wherever I am. And there is no home to run back to. Mm. And yeah, I think that's to me, I'm my home. And I know like, I know I won't let myself down. And that's the energy I always bring with myself is like, if I have me, I'll be okay. If I have me, I'll figure it out. I've always figured it out. I'm, I'm, I'm home. Erica, I love that. That was so good. But that makes sense, though. You are your own home. Like, you don't have a home to go back to, like, yourself. Wow. What is home to you, Katie? I think it's that feeling of, I don't think it's a geographical place, at least not for me. I think it's like the people that I'm that make you feel like you've come home. Mm-hmm. For me that like is my family. I feel like being in my parents' house, but it's not the house that matters. It's like wherever they're at. If they're with me in South Carolina or if they're here or if we're at their home, whatever. It's like the feeling of people and that feeling of being comfortable and being exactly who you are and feeling like you're being like accepted for exactly who you are. Mm-hmm. That's what I feel like home is. Mm-hmm. Because sometimes you could be around certain people and you feel at home. You can walk... Yes, in, you, I feel like it's... Exactly. Yeah, you can walk into someone else's house and feel so comfortable, take your shoes off, and you feel at mm-hmm. home. It can be the smell. Yes. It can just be the cleanliness. It's, it's just an energy. I agree. I think it's... Yes, you can walk in... Like my best friend's houses, when I like walk mm-hmm. into their homes, I'm like, oh yeah, I'm at home here. Mm-hmm. But like, you know, me and Erica's living room, I'm like, let me just make this living room my home. <laughs> I have arrived. I live here now. You know, mm-hmm. Dan's making me breakfast. Mm-hmm. This is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. I do feel like it's it's how you feel when you're. It's the people, though, not like a geographical place. Mm-hmm. I think it's more of that community. The community. Mm-hmm. All right, talk back to Mike and Benson. Um, they, there are a lot of endings in this book, obviously, Mike's dad dying, a lot of different things. Um, but in particular, the ending of a relationship, yes. or potential ending of it. So how do you know, I guess we kind of talked about this, but how do you know when a relationship should or has ended? Like, how do you know when it's time to go? Or what advice would you give somebody who's trying to decide if it's time to go? Time to end it. When you're not happy, I feel that a lot of people stay together because it's comfortable, it's convenient. Um, But if you go through years not being happy and you're trying to find happiness elsewhere, it's time to let it go. If you're depressed, 
It's time to let it go. That's it. Why do you think Mike and Benson are staying? Just because they're comfortable? Because it's easy? I think they both really like each other. But I don't think they're on the same page when it comes to being in a committed relationship. It seems that way to me. Um, maybe because Benson cannot cook. <laughs> and, Mike is, <laughs> and Mike is keeping him fed. Like, you know. Um, Listen, I feel that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Your husband's a chef, so you you know you get it. it's like, what are we gonna eat tonight? I don't have to worry about cooking ever. Like that's amazing, you know. Um, from my perspective, <laughs> maybe because Benson loves him more than he loves Benson. You know, it's always that one person that loves mm-hmm. the other person more so, and sometimes it switches up, you know, throughout the years or months or whatever. Um, but that's what I think, you know. Also, it's like, you know, when you're in it, you can't see it. When you're outside of it, it's so clear. Like, I think that's also part of the book is like for us as observers, it's like, oh, my God, these guys need to break up mm-hmm. already. But, you know, when you're in it, you, breaking up takes so long. It takes months and months and months. And then, you know, a year later, you look back and realize, oh, of course, it makes so much sense in hindsight. When you sit in shit too long, you stop smelling it. Oh my god. <laughs> I loved that. I think it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay, I had something profound to say, but I can't even think about it now after that. Like <laughs> um, you were saying, I want Benson to want more. I want them both to want more. Like, I want to be like, you deserve all of this, like, joy. But it's so hard to convince people that they deserve or should want more. They like, have to want it. Like, don't settle. Yeah, you, they have to want it. Like, you can be that friend to, like, tell your other friend, like, listen, you can do better. You, you should move on. But they have to want it. That's it. Right. Like, you just, you have to want it for yourself. And I don't know. I feel that Mike is such... I don't know. He's just this ball of energy. And he just wants to go out there and do his thing. And then I feel that Benson is so content with just having a man, going home to a man, living a simple lifestyle. They're both not on the same page. Right. I think that's that's something. And they don't talk about that either, though. Like, they... I don't know. I need to talk about everything all the time. So, like, I don't understand, like, how they... I seriously, like, I need to analyze every little thing. And poor Jason, like, I'm like, you have to do this with me, even though I'm sure he'd be perfectly content never analyzing anything. Mm-hmm. He's literally in the next room, so <laughs> we'll hear this. Um, <laughs> is home cleaning the house today. We love it. Um, but, yeah, I feel like I need to, like, analyze and communicate about everything and make sure we're constantly on the same page. That's, like, mm-hmm. so interesting to me. Is that, like... I don't know. Different kinds of emotions, I guess, or different kinds. Like, they don't seem to need to talk about anything. Communication is everything. It's so important. Like, you have to communicate. That's what adults do. Period. Like, you have to talk. (laughs) Because I was frustrated when he... I was frustrated when Benson uh, seen Mike's phone on the counter and he seen the dick pic pop up, but he didn't say anything. He He didn't inquire about it. He didn't ask a question. I was like, what? So you just 
keeping all that in, and that is the worst thing you can yeah. do. You have to let it out. Like, you have to communicate. You have to ask questions. You have to talk. That's it, you know? That's why I feel like the relationship is not going to last. Even if they don't get out of it immediately, like, this isn't going to last forever because you're not talking about anything. Mm -hmm. It's very frustrating. And we're seeing, you know, their intimacy continue as a way to connect. And that is definitely a way to connect. Mm -hmm. But, like, with while everything else is falling away around them and they're not able to talk to each other, they're so still like so desperate for each other because there is all you know all those emotions and they're still able to like have sex but they can't like that's the one way they're like grasping onto each other and it makes those scenes even more sad because you know how much they're trying to communicate and this is like the one way they know how to show their affection for each other and yeah katie mentioned earlier like you just want to shake them Mm -hmm. and be like say you love each other Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I just feel that, I don't know, Mike can cheat and Ben will just let it slide. And I don't know, Mike just, he wants an open relationship, so he really doesn't care. And he knows that Ben is going to be there regardless. So it's like, ugh, messy. Poor Ben. (laughs) So sad. I'm all for I'm all for ethical non-monogamy, but that is definitely not what they have no, set up for themselves. No, they don't communicate. <laughs> that is not how you go about no. it. Again, with the communication. Exactly. Yeah. In the book, we talk a lot about like what it means to be yourself in and out of um, different contexts and different places. And you are definitely a person who is very authentic, 100% yourself. Um, do you ever feel the pull to recreate yourself? How do you discover new parts of who you are? And what do you do to stay grounded in your authenticity? I meditate. I meditate. I take deep breaths. I remind myself of all the things I'm grateful for. I remind myself of all of my mistakes and the things I've learned from my mistakes. I reach out to the people who raised me, grandmothers, aunties, talk to them to stay grounded. I love myself, and I talk to myself in the mirror a lot. That might sound insane, but it's Easy, I was telling, sorry to interrupt you, but I was telling someone about that the other day, about, like, talking about being self-conscious, literally yesterday, and... I was like, my friend Easy was telling me, he's like in the mirror, he's taking pictures, he's saying he loves like he's doing all these, and I was just like, we can cut that part out, but I was like, listen, self-love is important, and I was like quoting that conversation. No, self-love is so important, you know, for years I've talked bad on myself, um, you know, about my body, uh, just about the way I talk, uh, just little things, like just picking myself apart, but now I'm just like, I, I, I'm very careful of the things I say to myself and about myself. And, you know, I realize that I am an amazing man, a loving man, and I deserve nothing but the best. And that's it, you know. But I feel that a lot of people adapt to their environment, you know. That's why it's so important um, to be aware of your surroundings and your friends, even family. People will try to bring you down to their level. Like, it's insane, you know? Um, But, yeah. What type of meditation do you do? 
something small. So I go to my little sanctuary in my basement. It's quiet. I sit there. I don't listen to anything. And I just breathe. And I just think about my life and everything and everything that's in it. And everything I've endured. And I say thank you to God. And I just go on with my day. That sounds so peaceful. Maybe yeah. I'll start a meditation practice in my It's amazing. I feel like everyone should do that for themselves. Like, just be thankful for another day to even walk, to have thumbs. Shit. To have thumbs? Can you imagine not having a thumb or thumbs at all? Can you imagine? I'll do... No. Exactly. I mean, what? <laughs> <laughs> Thanking God for our thumbs. Yeah. Okay. Given that it's New Year's Eve, we should kind of finish this podcast with some of our favorites books of the year. I love that. Also, after talking to Easy, I am starving. <laughs> okay, same. Um, not to make you jealous or anything, but I do know that Jason is making pasta for lunch. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm jealous. Favorite books of 2020. I'm just going to read them. I wrote down five that I think are my favorite but this is it was a good year of books I will say I have no strategy when it comes to books I just read whatever like someone recommends or I see on Instagram or like is a buzzy book but there's not really I feel like I read a lot I don't think I'm well read like there's no strategy here is what I'm saying statement though that you can say I think you're very well read yeah, but people will be like, oh, yeah, it just reminds me of Catcher in the Rye. And I'm like, mm-hmm. okay, I do hate people to do that. They're like, oh, have you read this book that it's Philip Lolita or any of these This books? classic like, oh, no, book? no, I didn't read the classics. Although I will say as a kid, Oops. I got this series of books one time that was all, uh, it's like shortened versions. Like I was young and it was like Huckleberry Finn, Little Women, um, I can't think of them now, but like all the like classics and they were like in mm-hmm. chapter book short form and I read them all in like three weeks. I think I was like 10. So, you know, I got the so major you read things. it. You got it. Yeah. I mean, um, okay. okay. My favorite book of 2020 should come as no surprise. It's Luster. I thought Luster was, oh my God. I, we don't have to say like why we liked each of these books or no. else it's going to take forever. Yeah, but Luster, like you'll the be here characters of that book. Edie will live with me for the rest of my life. I feel like it was just such a unique book. Everything about it was like surprising, real, not ever been done before amazing i loved luster so much so good um other honorable mentions all adults here how we fight for our lives latitudes of longing and another brooklyn by jacqueline woodson if you liked red at the bone highly recommend another brooklyn i heard another brooklyn was good um you know i really hate the question what's your favorite book of 2020 so instead of answering it i picked my top five (laughs) Like, I just really, I hate that question. It feels like a lot of pressure. It's a lot um, of pressure. People are like, who's your favorite band? I'm like, I've never listened to music. I have no idea. Never heard of it. <laughs> like, I can't think of anything. I've suddenly forgotten music exists. <laughs> okay. So I wrote in my top five. I should have probably looked up the authors, but I didn't. Um, these are like in the order I read them, but not in the order if I okay. liked them. I loved okay. A Place for Us. I loved Becoming. I feel like that was just such a good book. I think I'm a little bit behind the times in reading that, but... 
whatever. Um, I also loved Rodham. I was in a political mood like all year, you know, given the current state of the world. 2020. Rodham was so good. And then I loved Vanishing Half and Red, White, and Royal Blue recently. So those two are like still in my mind. Red, White, and Royal Blue is like all adults here. Both of them were just like the story I needed to escape at that moment. And I loved them. Yes. I also just read it. So I'm still obsessed. With all of those. Yes, we need to do a special episode on we do. our thoughts on red, right, red, white, and royal blue. I also just recently read it. I also feel like I loved the nonfiction books I read that didn't feel like nonfiction, like Three Women, like How We Fight for Our Lives, like Born a Crime. Those were all really good, too. It was a good year for books. It was a good year for reading, I think, in general, provided, like, the escape that we needed. Yeah. Um, and I think that's going to continue, unfortunately, for the next couple months of needing books to escape into what book is on your current like what are you currently reading that's not our next book talk book which we can announce I'm reading big friendship um oh. which is like more sort of like a memoir story of these two friends who also have a podcast together that ah! <laughs> the idea that you know and this is something I actually like have talked a lot about in therapy and talked a lot about with you is like what does friendship mean? How do you cultivate long-term friendships? Why don't we talk about friendships the way we talk about relationships, which is like breakups, which is commitment. What do I mean to you? What do you mean to me? Like those are conversations that we don't have about friends, but it applies in the same way. And sometimes even for longer, because there's no norms around that moment where you say, are we best friends? Are you my best friend? Am I yours? Like, oh my God, we should have best friend just... proposals. I love that. Actually, I, I know. Or like, are we breaking up? But... Is this working for you? Right. And the book starts with these two friends who are, you know, have been friends for a long time and their friendship is not working. And they have to like have that uncomfortable conversation. Like, why is it not working? What can we do? Et cetera. And I just, it's a good book to think about the priorities that I want in my life for 2021. I'm reading The Mothers currently, which I'm obsessed with Britt Bennett right now. I read The Vanishing Half, and then I was like, I need to read everything she's ever written. I loved that book. Um, I just started The Mothers. I know you've read it, but from what I can tell so far, it's about a teen pregnancy, um, Nadia and Luke. Luke is the pastor's son. And then I think it's about how this pregnancy and this decision to either keep the baby or not affects them for the rest of their lives and kind of what happens from there. So... I think that's also a theme of the books we've been reading this year is like, how does this one decision affect you forever? And like, how do you keep making choices even in the vanishing half? Um, But yeah, I can't wait to read it. I also have got to finish because I don't know, like if a book doesn't capture me in the first like 40 pages, it's like, I feel obligated to read it, but I don't want to. And that's how I feel about the very last story of Mina Lee. (laughs) Like I just, I don't know. It's fine. You can't finish it. I know. And then I'm going to read The Orchard. Actually, that's not true. I promised myself that I would read A Promised Land next. So after I finish The Mothers, I'm going to start A Promised Land. And it will probably – you can probably check back in, like, June because it's 700 pages. Yeah. So. We'll talk about it on the New Year's Eve episode of 2021. (laughs) I will, yeah, probably just be wrapping it up. It's so long. It's so – have you started it? No, I haven't started it yet. it's so long. Um, I'm excited. Also, just – it's volume one. Talk is made by me, Erica Bailey, and Katie Cheney, with production support from Dan White. Our theme music is by Dan White. We'll see you next week.
I really enjoy watching people eat, especially if I cooked it. Like, I really enjoy the look on people's faces, the way they eat the food. Like, I just love watching it. It's so weird. But... I'm really glad I didn't know that before we've eaten meals together. Yes, <laughs> I feel like. yes.